2: Hey, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 356. Um, I just got to London, and I'm a little wiped out after traveling, so this might be a very quick intro, which is probably okay in your book. Um, so, I uh, do want to stand up. Uh, go to the Nerdist calendar page. Hey, there's a YouTube channel. Go to the YouTube Nerdist page. Hey, there's uh, other stuff. Look it up. Uh, I would like to thank sponsorship. On this episode of nurse Podcast, from LegalZoom, um, America was built on invention. I'm going to say everything was built on invention. I'm pretty sure America did not invent invention. I can't prove that, but I'm going to go out on a limb. Now, if only there were some worldwide web of information that could, uh, that could support or refute that, then great. But until that happens... You uh, may be an inventor. You may want to create something. So, uh, this month, LegalZoom is celebrating innovation by making it easier to innovate, file a patent application, protect your invention, incorporate a business, form an LLC, uh, and then get help with trademark and copyright applications and more from LegalZoom. They've helped uh, customers file for over a 100,000 trademarks and help tons of businesses get started right. Just visit LegalZoom.com You're going to get answers to to some straightforward questions they are going to take care of you from start to finish. Celebrate innovation with LegalZoom for a limited time. Get a special price on trademark, copyright and patent applications when you enter Nerdist in the referral box at checkout. Protect your creations and launch your dreams at LegalZoom.com today. LegalZoom can provide self-help services at your specific direction or they can connect you to an independent attorney but they are not. A law firm, LegalZoom.com Now this episode is Uh, Fitz of Fitz of the Tantrums um, which is uh, a band that I like and they're nice. So Fitz came on and he was a really interesting guy, and I, I, and then even after we stopped recording, I just grilled him about his background. After I found out what his dad did, uh, which I'm not going to spoil now, because then you don't want a spoiler for the podcast. Just listen, you'll get to it. But the new Fits in the Tantrums album uh, is out now. It's called More Than Just a Dream, and uh, pick it up. Here's Nurse Podcast episode number 356. With fits and the tantrums. Uh, Parenthetically, maybe and the tantrums are just parenthetical because it's just fits. Fits and the tantrums, minus and the tantrums. No tantrums, just the fits, ma'am.
0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
2: bolden everybody to have way too
0: many opinions. Bring your mother into it. It's weird.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and your family and your dick, for some reason, they'll challenge.
1: So we don't have to be clean, right? We can No. Use no. dirty words. Yeah. Because yeah. I got a trucker's mouth.
2: That's good. Okay, good. The podcast could almost be called Trucker's Mouth.
0: I <laughs> still like, and no one asked, but this is very specific.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, this is very specific, and I know no one asked. <laughs> most of our stories are just i mean it's very just it's very much just a loose conversation uh fits and now there don't seem to be any tantrums here
1: no we left the tantrums at home
2: is that is that are they like we want to come and you're like your tantrums you stay here
1: uh no i think they were like what we don't have to work today and you do
2: go for it buddy (laughs) you have to go talk for an hour exactly so your album well by the time this goes up your album will have just come out yeah that's right so uh congratulations thank you brother
1: (laughs) you did it we did it you released your album 10 million
2: copies sold Oh well man. Done, sir. Remember those days? Oh my
0: God! Uh, remember when everyone had Taylor Swift numbers
2: or, or Adele? <laughs> And it was like, if you you sold any less than like 5 million, it was like, fuck off.
1: I know. And now you you sell like 150,000 and they're like applauding you. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. It's so crazy to look at the the charts and see like what makes number one some weeks. And it's literally, you could sell like 45,000 records and be in the number one position on the charts.
2: Do you even think about any of that stuff anymore? Or is it like, what's your... What's your gauge for success or do you have one or is it a personal one or is it a numbers one?
1: I mean that you know for me that's like multi-layered because for me like you know I busted my ass in the music business for almost 20 years and I could not get fucking arrested to save my life. Um and I picked up and put down the dream so many times and it was really only when I was like 36 37 that I even got my first break after i finally just finally come to peace with okay this is never going to happen just deal with it what else are you going to do with your life and then this magical moment happened where it felt different than anything else i had ever done and it was sort of like i always say it was like before it was like trying to smash a square peg through a round hole and then with this band with fits and the tantrums all of a sudden it was like it just flowed and there was these serendipitous moments that kind of like kept feeding off of each other so for me every moment that this band exists and I actually get to pay my bills from doing music it's like You know, uh, I've already like achieved every dream I could have ever have wanted. Well,
2: what was, what do you think the shift was? Was it just this specific collection of people that was just like, oh, well, this isn't. You couldn't engineer this. It just kind of happened.
1: Well, obviously, I think you know, you got to have good music. You got to have talented people. There's definitely like some exceptional musicians in my band. And what we do is we put on a real live show. You know, it's like there's no smoke and mirrors. Everybody is so talented. When you put the six of us together, there is this palpable energy that's translated uh but i think it's also my drummer john he always talks about this you know theory of like you're in line and if you get out of line you got to get back to the end of the line but if you stay in line for your dream you just keep plowing away at it eventually your time is going to come around so his theory is don't get out of the fucking line (laughs)
2: <laughs> don't don't get off hold when it's like, your call's very important to us. Exactly. Although the business never really says your call is very important to us.
1: No, and, you know, that was the thing is I think, you know, I had uh, done a lot of music for advertising and uh, for movies and stuff like that and made a little bit of money from that. And I basically, when I saw a couple glimmers of, like, maybe something's happening, I put my my whole entire life savings into this band and we you know we were able to go tour the country and open up for bigger bands and stuff but it was only kind of with that original investment that we could even afford to go across the country and do all this stuff. And we sort of just built up this following to the point when we were ignored by the industry the whole entire time. And then it just got to this point where finally we had built up enough of our fan base that the industry finally had to start taking a little bit notice when we were selling out shows across the country and being like, what's going on? These guys don't even have a record deal and they're being talked about like social media all over the place and selling out shows. So for me, it was like, and the rest of the guys and gal and the band—it's really a point of pride that we built it all on our own. And sort of everyone ignored us, and we're like, "Okay, you're going to ignore us? Well, f you. We're going to go do it on our own, anyways."
2: That's—I think—that's really sort of the mo of 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 being in any kind of artistic endeavor today. Is is not? I mean, I, you know, I'm sure there was some degree of that before, you know, before the '90s and in the '80s and the '70s, and where it's like, "Oh no, you got to keep plowing ahead," but. I think it was a lot harder back then, because everything was so constr- so controlled by these very small systems that said, okay, you can do this, and we'll put you on radio. And and now it does none of that matter. Oh
1: yeah, well I mean now you can literally be that guy in like Minneapolis in your basement, like making a song, and somehow you put it out to the world, and sometimes it can truly have that organic viral moment where you're in your basement, and all of a sudden like fifty thousand, a hundred thousand people have heard your song i mean that's that access uh, you know we're talking about like you don't sell records anymore it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time you know you know they say now between five and ten records are stolen for every one that's purchased so and that way you don't sell as many records but at the same time there's the internet which we literally have fans in bangladesh saying we love your music you know we can't afford to get over to bangladesh but somehow (laughs) somehow via the the interwebs you know they know
2: is there an, is there another time period that you think oh I, you know it would have been great to have been a musician in this time period like would you have wanted to be absorbed by the label system in the 70s
1: hell no the 90s when they were writing like seven figure checks and you were seeing all these people whatever i i mean that's partially a joke but i mean it was pretty incredible back in the day when you could actually like sell a lot of records you could go make a music video for more than like Ten cents being rubbed together you know there was like there was a whole sort of thing you know we were on an indie for a long time and we just switched to a major and i gotta say that you know we made our record finished it even before we switched but being on uh, a big corporation you can also feel you know there's there's more power behind you there's more support you know we were at a label with five people uh in the staff and then we switched to a label that's got a couple hundred and you know, there's always a hundred and one nightmare stories about major labels, but if you're actually in their good graces, it's a it's not a bad thing.
2: What is it? What is it that they provide? Is it just like promotion?
1: Promotion, and- support, staff. You know, just passion. You know, there's there's a couple hundred people that are passionate about, you know, helping your band and your music get out to the world. You know, and uh, you know it's palpable. You can feel it when uh, when you're promoting the record. You know, we just came off of like four weeks of going around to every radio station around the country introducing ourselves trying to get our our songs played on the air and do do the the promotion dance that you got to do and it you know that's part of that being even in that pathway to have those opportunities is direct result of being on a label you know
2: Oh yeah I I remember I worked at K Rock in the 90s and then uh when you know K Rock was pretty uh, very powerful in the 90s cuz they were you know They had grunge, and they had you know like uh, they had a lot of the music that was at the top of the charts for sure. And uh, and bands would come in and just play, lie, like just play to try to like, hey, huh, how about this? You know. Oh yeah,
1: we just did that. Hey, how about this for K Rock just a couple weeks ago? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like. But now you play on the Red Bull stage. <laughs> it's sponsored. <laughs> which is not bad because our band, you know, when you're on the road, you need that, you need that extra taurine or whatever they put
2: in there. Oh, that's cool because when I worked at K-Rock, it literally was just in a conference room. Like they would come in and just play in a conference room. No, and now they've dressed the it up with
1: like some speakers and some, some paint.
2: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, good. They painted it. Yeah. That oh, was good. That's really good. Do you, uh, uh, do, do does, is that, does that wear on you at all? Or do you still have the excitement of like, no, we're still, you know, we're still growing and we're still building it? Or are you like, oh my God, if I have to go to one more weird, you know, radio station in the mid, you know, somewhere and play again for music people, I would,
1: Oh, well, I think you definitely like the road is, you know, people think that being on the road as a musician is all glamour, but I would say it's 23 hours of shit for one hour of glory. <laughs> you know, it's like you're busting your ass just getting from point A to point B. You're in a different city every 18 hours. You're just going, 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 because every day you're out there. It costs a lot of money to be out there. So you can't lollagag. You know, you got to like just be going, going, going and going. Um, And you're exhausted. That's the part. You can do anything until you're sleep deprived and like three, four days in a row of like 3 a.m. lobby calls and your ass is just whooped and you're dragging. But I'll say this is the incredible thing about music. You start playing it as a band. I even had it yesterday. We were doing a show and I was tired, but Somebody sort of just went off on a solo, and then everybody's energy just went through the roof. And it was that real creative moment of creation, and that thing that you can't even sort of quantify or explain really, but it was just all of a sudden I went from exhausted to completely like euphoric.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do you think happened for the the, 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 you say the 20 years before this specific, uh, the specific thing happened with the tantrums? Like, what was it? what were you trying to do or what did you feel like when you look back now do you go oh well of course that wouldn't have worked because i was trying too hard to pursue a trend or i wasn't doing this or i was
1: i think you know i mean the thing is is like i've been a singer my whole entire life and then the sort of vibe that comes from that is you're like well if you can sing any style what innately is you what Mm -hmm. what uh what defines you? What is your true, authentic voice? Because you can sing any kind of style. And it took me a long time to, I think, find what that that thing was, where it went from being imitation to, like, just personal, real, my voice. And I think that's one of the elements. You know, I'd say, you know, I mean, I grew up in L.A. It's such a weird city to, to grow up. And you see, like, basically everybody coming from every other city to this town to try and succeed to make it and like you grow up here so you're like well where do I go if everyone's coming <laughs> if this is the place you come where do you go and you see people rise and fall and just the whole nature of the entertainment business whatever paradigm that is but it's also it's one of the few places where like hard work doesn't amount to a guaranteed success usually somewhere else like you work at an office you bust your ass you're halfway smart you succeed that doesn't apply here in this town And I
2: know? and I don't really think of and i'm i apologize i'm about to offend a bunch of la bands but i don't really think of la as a music town per se in the sense where you go like oh you go to seattle there's all these music clubs oh you know you go to chicago there's this kind of thing or you go to new york you know like i don't think of la as like oh you got to go to la because all the music you know right. like, i don't really oh, think of sure. la as being like a well, anymore than it was in the 80s
1: it actually is it just is always being eclipsed by the fact that it's the industry town of course you know um you know and that was one of the benefits of my band we you know we a lot of times it can be really hard to put a band together and find the right people, right vibe, right talent, level, taste. And with fits in the tantrums, you know, we literally made five phone calls and all of a sudden it was the pairing, we went and rehearsed and it was on. But all those guys came from that authentic music scene here in LA, you know. Um, you know, there's a whole sort of underground. Uh, soul and funk and hip-hop scene that's happening uh, continuously outside of the industry. And all those guys had played with each other in different combinations. So they really brought that sort of uh, just road dog skill and veteran sort of ability that existed in that uh outside in that real uh, music community and brought it to the band and that was one of the reasons why we went from one rehearsal to playing at our first show a week later at hotel cafe
2: i mean it is almost kind of a when you think about that it is almost like uh like an astronomy event where like all these different things had their own paths and then It just, it took all those paths to bring them to this one point in time to make them ready to create this very specific kind of chemistry for this thing.
1: I I totally agree. You know, I mean, it's like some of it was like finding your right voice. Some of it was finding the right people, good music, but also just that like stars aligning, like whatever, uh, you know, it's like we had all these magical things that happened at the beginning that said like, okay, you've played two shows and now... Floggy Molly wants to take you out on the road and Maroon 5 wants to take you on the road, like two totally different bands. But we, we went and we did it, but you know, at the same time it was coupled with like the hardest amount of work that we've ever done. We, you know, like I said, nobody was in the industry was paying attention. So we just went and grinded it out. We did everything we should. We, you know, interviewed at the local newspaper to the local LA Weekly-style paper in every town. I mean, we did everything and everything and played shows in front of five people and dives in the middle of nowhere to playing to 500 people the next night and just collected those fans two, three, ten at a time. You know, it was, like I said, I think for everybody in the band, a huge point of pride is that we just worked our asses off to get to where we are.
2: Was there one thing that you did that you felt that you felt like, oh, this sort of tipped everything.
1: um It's interesting because we did like, you know, all the late night circuit last time. We did two Lenos, we did everything. And uh we also did this thing called Live from Daryl's House, which is Daryl Hall. Mm-hmm. Oh, has, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has his own thing, which I love because it had that same sort of, uh you know, do it yourself kind of vibe is that like he was at his home in upstate New York and he was like, I want to be creative. So he started inviting other musicians to his house. They jam some of his songs, they do some of his songs, their songs, excuse me, and they started putting it up on the internet and it became this whole phenomenon. And doing Live From Daryl's House turned out to be maybe the single most important thing we've ever done because wherever we go, whether we're in Australia or in Brussels or here in the States, people come up and they go, like I found out about you because of Live From Daryl's House. Um, and it was an incredible thing because it's people that are really hungry for an experience it's not just like passive viewership mm-hmm. you know like watching something late night as you're passing out drunk or whatever it's like people are going there for that musical yeah. experience like let's go hang out with Todd Rundgren or let's go hang out when we did our episode with Fitz in the Tantrums and Daryl Hall and watch them make music and it blows me away to this day and it's like multi-generational like Mom and dad, their son, their daughter, all, like, getting into this and then all coming to the show. It's pretty incredible. Did you
2: cover a Holland & Oates song?
1: Uh, we did. Actually, we went, you know, because everybody, a lot of people that went on there, like, Chromio and stuff, they do all the, like, 80s hits that you know. Yeah. But, actually, Holland & Oates, especially Daryl, started out as, like, some of the first true blue-eyed soul singers. Yeah. You know, he came out, like, got his first contract with Gamble & Huff out of Philly, you know, and he was singing, like... In the same way that Todd Rundgren was, like, real, like, white boys doing just legit soul. So we went and found the first song he ever uh, performed that was actually the thing that won him his first talent show, a track called Girl I Love You, and then this other song called Perky Omen. And he was just so, so happy that we went and found these, like, deep, deep cuts from him as opposed to just doing Private Eyes, like, again.
2: Very creative on your part. That says a lot about your band.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and it was like, because especially our first record was very sort of influenced by 60s soul music. I mean, you know, for people that know like Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings, they're like traditionalists. They do like 60s soul Motown stacks, all that kind of stuff, like to a T. And she is one of the badass, best singers and performers ever. But our music was sort of more of a weird hybrid of like, Soul music, but even more so, like, 80s British bands that were being influenced by soul music. Like you ABC? Know, ABC, Style Council, all that, st- you know, Haircut 100, all that kind of music that was, like, it was, like, once remo- removed, you know, and... uh that 's sort of where we got our influences, but that 's why we when we went and hung out with daryl, we said okay well let 's find the music that found his roots, which was that blue eyed soul sort of vibe, but less of the 80 s new wave and i 'd actually say on this record now we 've kind of embraced more of the uh, the 80s new wave part on this record it 's more of a progression
2: but- I fucking love that music so much I mean like abc 's How to be a millionaire was a f- it's I played the shit out of that because that was one of the first actual compact discs. That you could buy that I bought in the in the in the you know like eighty six maybe eighty seven was how to be a millionaire. I played the fuck out of that. Yeah, well,
1: and if you grew up, where did you grow up?
2: Uh well, I grew up in a lot of different cities, but I I ended up in L.A. my senior year of high school. But oh, I was so, in Denver before. And, and I think Memphis. we're close
1: in age. So if you were around here, is like K Rock was the radio station for the whole country. They broke every 80s new wave and new romantic band yeah rodney if you know even brought, what new, rom- new romantic is you Ro- know,
2: rodney like, brought a lot of stuff on <laughs> the, rodney the
1: you know i mean it's like all of that stuff i just i loved it loved it violent femmes haircut 100 abc mm-hmm. you know and for us this new record there's a lot of tracks that i say are sort of like uh martin fry abc redux for 2013 sort of Definitely taking a lot of influence from
2: They all you. had that, and they all, you know, the one thing that um, that the 90s kind of took away, or maybe it didn't take away, it just gave different costumes, but I feel like there was a certain sort of, there was a certain character element to 80s music. There was a certain theatrical, you know, and and maybe it came out of like, you know Elton John and Ziggy Star or Ziggy Stardust or whatever from the or Alice Cooper or whatever it came from but then in the 80s like when I think about ABC they had very specific characters and there was like the bald guy with the round glasses and then Moss and Fry and then the and
1: or then, like my hairdo inspired the flock of seagulls come
2: on is that, well, <laughs> uh, the, you, your, yours is not even a I know mine is a tame version you're like a level 3 seagulls like it's not <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: because he was a full 10 I mean he because he had ten. the side this side was our, our like just straight
2: up yeah and then and then all those you know all those all those theatrics went away, and I mean, I think when you look back, you go, okay, they just swapped out the costumes for flannel. Like they were still costumes; they were just they shed it all away. And I think, you know, even the idea of touring a band like ABC or like what you guys do, which is more of a, a fuller, bigger, like that late revival '60s revival sound, is uh, is it tough now to tour that because it's not not it's just like well there's just three of us and it's cheap to tour i mean like it must be a kind of a pain for you guys to tour
1: well when you're doing like the festival circuit Your during, in the nodding. summer <laughs> you're looking at at those djs that literally are
2: fucking rolling
1: up and I, i'm not joking they're rolling up with a fucking usb stick <laughs> and you know those motherfuckers are getting paid like 250 grand and you're like i fucking
2: hate you i mean i remember uh uh Talking to a friend of mine who was in the who was in a band and in, and in the and this is even the '90s and he would go, he go yeah you know we just got offered uh, you know like a couple hundred grand to go play Australian I'm like that's really awesome and he goes, no it's not I mean wait because they were a big band and he's like travel hotel transportation commissions food crew you know it it just it whittled all down and they really all just walked away you know for a month i mean literally just like like maybe a a couple thousand dollars for for you know like uh for a lot of for a lot of work which
1: we should definitely not tell me or the rest of my band to uh to go listen to this podcast because that's that's the experience that we have you know there's six of us and then you got a couple crew and you got to get there point eight it's definitely more challenging i mean you have to like work twice as hard to like make a living
2: at it don't you remember when TLC did their behind the music and they were like everyone thinks you make a lot of money but you have and they were like the first ones to really break it down about recoupment yeah and they're like here's what you have to understand about how it works you know because people just think Oh, if you have one, it's like, oh, you're a crazy millionaire. It's like, no, no, no. There's so much, like, that money goes to so many different places. It's like, I, I always say, if you're in the entertainment business, if you want to make a shit ton of money, you have to make a fuck ton of money. Because uh, because eighty eighty in some cases, to 80 to 90% of it will just go to everything to other people.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's, you know, in this world, there's a lot of people that got to help you. You know, you have managers, agents, publicist, accountant, uh, you know, I mean, it's like whatever the boring business side of it, but it's the shit where like everybody's got to survive. And there's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of pieces to the pie that are split off.
2: But, but before people think that we're, you know, that we're luxury complaining, but the, but in the end, you know, for me, I always sort of felt like, well, as long as I'm not as long as I can make enough to keep doing what I want to do, then it'll be fine. Then exactly. everything'll be
1: well, fine. You know, and I'd say the interesting thing about music and musicians is musicians get fucked in the ass more than anybody else. It's kinda crazy. <laughs> you know, we get taken advantage of All the time, you know, people want you to do shit for free. They want to underpay you. It's really hard to make it and make a steady living uh, in music. Like, even I was lucky. I fell into making music for commercials. And you can actually make a pretty decent uh, uh, living from doing that. But, like, I went and, like, had a meeting with a television show, some reality show. They were like, so, yeah, we want you to make the music for the season. I'm like, cool. They're like, yeah, so it's, like, $8,000. I'm like, okay, eight thousand dollars an episode they basically want like 44 <laughs> minutes worth of to wall music and they's like oh no 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 that's like uh 8000 for 16 episodes and i'm like that's l- like less than a penny a minute of worth of music
2: <laughs> which which will take you how many months to make
1: exactly you know it was insane it, musicians just get taken advantage of it's one of those things like even now it's like with the digital revolution is the first people that like the file sizes were small enough and now it's happening to tv and movies but like you could steal music very easily you know and it was like the first sort of victims of like the internet and zeros and ones yeah and uh you know i just say that if you can actually make it and pay your bills and for us that's like six of us in the band, a couple crew, our extended fa- family of our two managers that like have been with us since the very beginning. We're all like actually paying our rent now and that's that is a blessing. You know, it's a truly kind of incredible.
2: I mean, it, especially as much as you tour, do you really <laughs> even even if you had like a massive house, it was like you're never even in it anyway. Like the life of a musician, how much money do you need? Like it really is just as long as you can make enough to keep going, and then maybe you'll have some later on down the road, so you don't, you know, so you don't die.
1: Yeah, well, and because people don't really buy records as much, the way you you make a living is being on the road, and it's not like other things. Well, I guess it's like when you're like a comedian and you're going out and doing shows. You can only be one city at a time. You gotta like go play one show at a time, one show at a time. But
2: again, but the but the comedian. A, a comedian's joy is basically I don't even roll up with a USB stick.
1: Right, it's just you.
2: <laughs> it's just like there's no sound check. There's no you know, unless I'm doing a theater, there's no crew. It's really I just come in and you know, people are eating wings and uh and I just I just I yell dick jokes at them. And so there's <laughs> there's no there's no real you know, it's very easy for me and and I and I and, I, and so I I know that versus what it must be like i mean even just the idea of having to rely on five other people to show up be there always be performing at the same level all be kind of agreeing that we're moving all in the same direction like that is astonishing to me like bands that stay together more than an album i'm blown away by bands that stay together for decades i don't know how the fuck they do that oh
1: i know i mean it's a challenge but you know it's like when you find the right combination of people it's definitely easier you know i mean we're all we're all focused together and i think it's part of the thing is that we're all not 21 and falling on our face over our own ego and being drunk every night you know it's like we're all like professionals and we all work really hard and we all know what's at stake you know people have houses have babies have have lives that they need to be responsible for so it definitely can motivate you a little more than to to be a total fuck up
0: do
2: what uh what when you when you look back at all the is is there one is there one band or kind of musical experience that you were involved in where you look back and you go oh no Oh man. Or where do you or, or are you pretty much were you, are you happy with all of it?
1: Oh uh, no. Uh, all I'll say is thank God that all of that stuff happened before the internet.
2: Man. <laughs> because a nobody reminder of your failures.
1: Nobody can like really just like post that shit and humiliate me over and over and over again. It's like in the past and it stays in the past. And that's I'm uh, really grateful for that part of it. For the, sure.
2: Actually, you know, I know, I know. You're th- there was a half smirk when you were saying that. Like it's almost a little like you're almost kidding, but maybe not. Oh, but I don't I ain't think joking. I don't think you like that. Is a very real. Can you imagine now what it's like to to try to develop when You could all of a sudden be completely ridiculed and then maybe go, well, I'm probably not going to do this anymore because that was a horrible experience. Like, you were allowed to sort of fail and try and experiment without feeling like everyone was going to judge you. Well,
1: now I'm sure somebody's going to go dig somewhere and find some shit to put on the
2: air. But But you're okay now. Whatever. uh, It'll survive. You're okay now.
1: But, you know, even with my friends, you know, it's like I don't even tell my friends about shows. They're like, why do not you tell me you did a concert in town? I'm like, dude, I spent so many years guilt tripping you people, <laughs> begging you to show up at my fucking shows. And, you know, it was just like the worst feeling, like just guilt tripping 50 of your friends to show up. Please at the just Viper show up so we can perform. So that, like, oh, you know, you don't have to pay to play at the whiskey or whatever. You know, it's yeah. like oh, I just. That feeling is the worst feeling, so I don't even bother with that. The fact that we actually have fans that want to come and hang out and sing, and they know the music, and they're there. Uh, I'm like, I don't even bother telling my friends anymore.
2: I don't... Uh, a, lot, a lot of times, I don't, just because I always feel... Like, I always feel a little obnoxious if I haven't seen someone for a while, and I go and I call them, and I go, Hey, would you like to come see me on stage? I, I know. Like, a, it feels
1: weird to say that. It's a very weird Come paradigm. watch me. And even, like, with... You know, like, I've lived in this town my whole life, so I know a shit ton of people. I'm not friends with them, but I know a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot of people. I can never go out. My my lady hates going out with me because I got to stop it. Hey, man, how you doing? You know, like, that conversation that you have to. You can't walk by them and yeah. ignore them. But, you know, and uh, it just drives her crazy. But, um, shoot, I just totally... Did My you, brain just Did your brain died. just take a vacation My for a second? My brain just died.
2: You were going down a pathway, and then you went down a stairwell, and then you were like, "I didn't leave a breadcrumb trail. I don't know where i oh, was i second to go." And now I remember. Good. I, I, like, I generally, I'll just talk until someone remembers.
1: It's it. like uh, you know that sort of thing. Now that we've had some success, it's like now people that just want to be like, "So, congratulations. It's like the whole personal dynamic shifts from uh, from just regular conversations to now it's all about talking about what's happening with you or the success of the band and that's i think is a similar thing where i'm not used to like i don't like that kind of attention even though i like this lead singer of a band like i don't like to kind of have to talk about myself in my personal life or be like hey yeah come see my band come yeah and this is happening for me and
2: it's interesting you say that let's talk about your childhood (laughs)
1: <laughs> Where would you go to high school? I went to high school at uh, Los Angeles County High School for the Arts in East LA. It was the first public arts high school in LA.
2: Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, because uh, I went to a i i did a I moved out here my senior year. I went to a Loyola. Oh yeah, which is uh,
1: I went to Oakwood before that, which is in the Valley, which was sort of like the uh, the rich kid industry kid school where like I was the only kid whose parents weren't in the television business. What did your parents do? My dad was uh, president of a university, Cal Arts, California. Oh my TV god!
2: Arts. Holy shit! That's well, fucking huge. Cal Arts is Cal Arts is like some of the greatest artists, animators, paint like that's fucking. But it's not TV.
1: <laughs> well, a lot it, of it becomes TV. It, well, it's crazy. That's kind of the way people saw it uh, at Oakwood. But uh,
2: Cal Arts is fucking I, and huge. I And I actually,
1: both myself and my brother, we went there, but after my dad left there, so because I couldn't handle like going there while he was still president.
2: Oh my god! I mean, like just I was, you know, I was a huge animation nerd growing up, and so many of the like the wave of all like the the wave of 90s amazing cartoons and animation like a lot of those guys came out of CalArts
1: well you know and the sort of like untold story history of CalArts is that CalArts was founded by the Disney family but they did it in the early 70s where they basically somehow went and got the most radical artists To be the staff in the sort of the building of the place, like uh, John Baldessari and, uh, shoot, what's the guy's name who literally his performance art was where he shot himself? uh, Mike something. Anyway, so they started this school that they envisioned would just be like a nice little factory to like build like talented people for Disney. And what it turned out to be was like this radical art school that turned out to be the most cutting edge school in all of America where people were like doing plays totally nude and I think it just scared the crap out of them and uh, I think they wanted to kind of pull back from it a little but at that point it would have been probably a PR nightmare so they sort of still had to continue with it and they moved up to Valencia right near uh, Magic Magic Mountain Mountain, and then there became this sort of division where there was like two schools there was the animation school and then there was the rest of the school. And it was sort
2: of like... (laughs) The rest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it was like all the other things, like whether you were dance or experimental film or fine arts or whatever, but there was this real division. There was sort of... I always found it weird, but there was this sort of like snobbery from the rest of the school where it was like, oh, you guys are animators. You guys are working towards actually getting paid when you get out of here. Right. It was this weird sort of tension. uh, And they had their own department and the thing was that they all won because they actually got jobs right when they left <laughs> the the school. You know, they actually had, like, the, like, uh, work uh, conventions where, like... You, they like, were learning you,
2: a skill. They were learning a trade.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of uh, amazing new animation that's come out of that school.
2: Incredible. And, and Valencia is such an interesting place because you have Magic Mountain, Cal Arts, and then the porn industry. Like, there's this weird... It's this weird... All these three completely separate things around Valencia
1: and post riot the uh, the uh, the quickest expanding white community in all of California.
2: (laughs) They they really just went out to Valencia.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that's actually true. You know, it's like after the riots, I think people just like there was this crazy white flight that happened.
2: White flight. That's a fucking name for a band or an album. No, actually, White Flight sounds. That actually sounds a little supremacy that's a, that's a, <laughs> probably not a good don't call it, don't name a band white flight <laughs> unless it's unless it's about a polar bear and you can and he has wings, but otherwise it's gonna sound too racial. <laughs> what did you do for the riots? Do you remember where you were?
1: Uh I was actually going to Cal arts. I was studying experimental film, which was like the most awesome education you could ever have because it so has so many applications in the real world of course um and that's actually where I put my first band together. Uh, we went in and recorded at the studio at the school, came out, laid down my vocals, and that was the first time I understood that process of being in the studio and recording and heard my voice with the recording. And I fell back in love with music, which I had studied in high school, and uh, called my dad and said, yeah, you know those four years of film school education you just paid for? Yeah, I'm just going to go back to music.
2: But do you understand that it's the perfect... As the president of Cal Arts, he can't be like, No. Ugh.
1: I know, he's like, God damn, I have to be supportive.
2: <laughs> what was your first what was that band called, do you remember? Uh that oh
1: gosh, what was that band called? I think it was called Remedy. 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 It was the nineties. You guys gotta <laughs> forgive me. And it was totally like uh, opening a for bunch fuel. Of, it was a bunch of the jazz musicians playing like Prague. Rock like he- Prague heavy metal, kind of like in weird time signatures, oh yeah, yeah, just of the most like nerdy music that nobody else could love, but that, other musicians
2: that you're experimenting, yeah, yeah, I remember uh in, in when I remember I went to I had a class uh i I was kind of walking around the there's a little at u c l a campus where I went to college, there's a little like arboretum, there's like a little garden, and uh and I got back to my apartment and my roommates just glued to the TV and he's like, there's some serious shit going down. There's like a ride. And it was that footage of like, like Reginald Denny getting pulled out of the truck and they're we like, oh fuck. And then it just oh, tumbled. I know. It spiraled. Cause it's-
1: I lived in Hollywood. I lived right at Wilton and Franklin. Oh yeah. Um, And you could just see six plumes of smoke going all the way down Sunset Boulevard. And it was like, whoa, this is
2: getting real. Yeah.
1: And then we were like, let's go drive around.
2: (laughs) Like Sean Penn did. Sean Penn drove to the riots in his Porsche.
0: That's the story that I heard. Did he really? I Uh, I totally believe it. Yeah, I believe
2: that. And then uh, I I just, uh, I mean, god damn it. You know, well, we were college kids. What the fuck? We basically just hold up in a friend's apartment building. Smoked weed. Yeah, we just got drunk. Basically just got drunk. I mean, we were just That's what I did. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was uh he was in a security building. We're like, well, we'll probably be
0: okay, but it was so crazy because Remember the very special doogie hazard that was during the riots? Uh
2: no.
1: I do. What was the very special Doogie Howser?
0: Uh, well, Doogie was taking care <laughs> of this guy who had looted a store, and he had a moral dilemma about it. You know, it's during the riots in L.A. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know Doogie Hauser took place in L.A. until that episode, but oh, and yeah. that was very special. Yeah, it was very special.
2: Was just, this guy's building was one of the taller buildings in Westwood, in in the in the little community of apartments where all the students live, and um, it was. Just, I remember just being really weird, just being on the roof and looking out and just seeing like fucking military vehicles in the streets and no people because westwood at that time well still i guess but westwood at that time was just like always it yeah, was was a little shaky what in the, in the mid-80s westwood was very popular then the new jack city riots happened and then westwood got unpopular for a while do you remember the new jack city riots? of course yeah so that ruined westwood for a few years People rioted after the movie New Jack City in Westwood, and people got shot. At the
0: movie because theater it that it was that bad. The movie was that bad. They were New like, Jack
2: City's a good movie. What are you talking about? I'm Pookie. You're Pookie. We're all Pookie. Don't you remember? Right, Fucking so Jud Jud Nelson. Explain Judd. this
0: more to me. What happened?
2: There was a drive-by shoot. There was some sort of a shooting at the movie theater for New Jack City. I don't know if the theater like was at oversold. The Westwood. Like, was it the, the premiere Westwood. or something? Or? I don't know. It wasn't the premiere. It was just a screening of New Jack City. And so there were shootings and there was a thing and a a mini incident that happened. And so Westwood went dark, like it just went went dead for a couple of years because, you know, all the people were like, oh, we can get shot. Okay, well, we're not going to go walk the streets. And so Westwood died a little bit and then came back and then the riots happened and then it got weird again for for a little while.
0: I feel Westwood's back now. Westwood's
2: way back now. Yeah.
0: I have not been there in like 15 years. I went
2: there maybe, uh, yeah, maybe like a year ago, I kind of walked through, and it fe- it's, it's, some of the shops are different, but it fucking feels exactly the same.
1: It's so weird, like, growing up here, I, like, I live now, I live even further east, I live in Silver Lake, and it's like, I just was in Malibu yesterday for this uh, benefit, and uh, I was like, this is literally my yearly journey
0: to the west side it is like, <laughs> i never go to easier the to side. get
2: to las vegas than from silver lake to malibu
0: kind oh, of. easier bit, to fly to las vegas you just don't want to get on the other side of the 405 you just <laughs> don't want to do it. my manager lives there he's i'm just hating on his what blue. is
2: wrong with you how could you live on the west side
1: <laughs> he, he he really and this is like one of like the guy who no more 90s rock than this dude like he was Hollywood in the 90s rock and roll scene and now and now he's just, just totally boozed out in the just
2: boo west, drifted west drifted west for gourmet markets and <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah here it's it's, just it's so th- telling of the santa monica farmer's market to happen during the week and then like in the morning oh yeah <laughs> like just eh, fuck it's on a tuesday this is probably as far east
2: as he's come in a while then because you don't ever you're like if you're east or west you just don't cross that barrier to me often.
1: west is like la brea
2: yeah it, right yeah, you start getting is, past yeah. La brea and you're like Ugh, this is our, these furniture stores it's weird it starts to feel weird very local references for people who aren't from los angeles local ref local <laughs> refs um and so now you're so you're in town today when your album actually when recording this album comes out tomorrow but you you must be about to leave for a while yeah
1: i mean we you know it took us all of last year to make the album the album's called more than just a dream and um now just putting back the armor because we know like last time we didn't know what was happening and we just sort of were Blindly going day by day with the growing of the band and the success of it this time We know what's ahead of us, which is basically we're gonna be on the road for a couple years Uh, And sometimes it's definitely like you're like wow Okay, how am I gonna like wrap my head around that? And you just you can't even you literally just have to take it kind of week by week, you know. It, for us, uh, you know, this week it's the launch of the record. We're doing Kimmel tomorrow and stuff like that. So it's like a nice break to be at home and hang out a little bit and get those last few moments of like normalcy before we go and be traveling, Wilberries again.
2: Oh yes, handle me with care. The traveling wheelberries.
0: super I mean, come on. There's no question. I'm, I kind of miss Harrison, the traveling Wilburys. Like
2: Dylan, Roy, yeah, you Orbison. got Dylan, you got Orbison, you got Jeff,
0: Jeff Lynne. Lynn. on, that's some curly hair in that band.
2: How do you... Uh,
0: <laughs> 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 totally. <laughs> they should have... I love how Jeff Lynne still rocks it. Just fucking rocks the down to here. How was that shit.
2: never like a L'Oreal commercial? <laughs> the Jeff- oh. Even the name, Handle Me With Care, and then all their gorgeous
0: hair. We have a YouTube channel. We can make that happen. We can make it
2: happen. <laughs> um, but uh, how how do you balance between, you know, uh, going out to, to support the album that you've just released, maintaining that, but then also, now you, you know, within that two years, you're going to have to be looking ahead. You're going to be writing new stuff. You're going to have to be looking at that. Like, how do you process all of that at the, at the same time?
1: Uh, you know, it's like, I don't know how, actually, honestly. You just sort of have to do everything, you know in your power to 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 survive you know it's like you know this band made it through hard work and it's not like uh, we're a household name by any stretch i mean we've definitely had success but um you know it's still like a str- uh, you know it's a battle we're on the battlefield just trying to like uh you know Crack open those flares and do the like oh, yeah. the big waving <laughs> of like you know the Nicolas Kambla.
0: Cage and the Rock. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I am I am Bruce I weird for Tiger loving too. that movie? No, you're not weird. Like I you're fucking correct.
1: love that. Uh, like I love a great action when it's Welcome a good action rock. movie. I was
2: in. You were in. Way yeah. in
0: Oh, oh so and for me, top, like on the
1: great. road, like there's so much travel. There's so many like grinding hours that like now i'm just like binge watch television shows and like i'm re-going through like every movie on my ipad just so i don't have to deal with the like two-hour layover the four-hour plane ride the four-hour bus ride like
0: well i got good news for you fraser is on netflix All 264 episodes. Well, there you go, Go right there. That's uh,
2: that's eleven. I've seen at least
1: 260 of them. That's
2: 130 hours, right there. I mean, you know, so you could be in. in,
1: Like now, I just try and watch like all these new shows just weekly. Like I'm trying to just be patient with Game of Thrones, and it's driving me crazy.
2: It's hard, especially because we're spoiled now, and it's very difficult to go back to waiting to just until well, i things, saw actually.
1: you did on your tv episode i saw you when you had the creator of walking dead and yeah, i Kirkman. literally hid myself in my room for like four days with my lady and we watched every single episode over the course of
0: five days wow that is commitment
2: it's fun to do that it's fun to binge watch stuff
0: if our show can do one thing it's make people lock themselves in a room for five <laughs> days <laughs> are you doing a bus too are you doing the tour bus uh, we are. It depends. Sometimes we're like
1: flying city to city, which is brutal. And then I love being on the bus because even though you're like eight of you sleeping in bunk beds in this like mobile cl- long hallway, at least you have like a home base that every city's changing every day. But at least you have a little bit of consistency and you go to bed at night and wake up in the next city.
2: Yeah. You know? I've so always I- wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do a tour bus. It's, yeah, it's a little it's, bit harder it's, for it's fun minutes. for about
1: twenty four hours, and then you're like, all oh, right. It's like <laughs> I'm sleeping on like a mobile. Like, it's not it's not all it has been. Uh,
2: and can you? It, you know, and I always think, okay, so they're they're just giving me this bus driver. What do I really know about this guy?
1: Oh, trust me. We like we watched that guy for a couple of days, and we're like. We had one last summer where the guy, because they're supposed to drive all night and then go to their hotel room and sleep all day while you're doing the work. And then you go to bed and they drive all night. And that's the sort of trade-off. And we had this one guy, he had like, you know, uh, snakeskin uh cowboy hat and he never slept so we'd get to the city and then he'd just pull out a lawn chair and sit in front of the bus and drink rock star drinks all day long <laughs> oh no and then get back on the bus and i swear to god we just you just don't sleep that easy you know at night you're just like please
2: Please, Please, God, simple. just get us
1: to the next city safe.
2: <laughs> I know, especially in a vehicle that size, it doesn't really take much of, like, huh, ah, you know. And, oh, uh,
1: I know. I mean, and you can feel when they're barreling down the highway, you know, like you yeah, can feel when they're going over, like, 65. You can start to feel like the car, everything just starts gets a little lighter. bouncing, gets a little rocking lighter. and rolling.
2: Yeah. And, you, and you sort of, it drifts a little bit, and you feel like the, those little things on the side of the
1: road.
2: Like, get in the middle, stay in the middle. Yeah, I don't know. That's and you're
1: in literally laying in a bunk bed in a hallway with no windows. It's like the <laughs> darkest room you've ever slept in in your life. And you're like, oh, no sense of what's happening on the outside world.
2: What am I in? A, am I in a high speed coffin right now? It feels like I'm in a high speed coffin. <laughs> it
1: does actually feel like that
2: sometimes. <laughs> but I just think it would be fun. I just want to do it and just like fucking take the Xbox, just set up a little, you know, just a little uh, mobile, little mobile Wi-Fi. Had
0: an Atari and Spinal Tap. Yeah. On the bus.
2: But now we can have an Xbox. Oh,
0: God damn it. Yeah, but uh, see, like, my, my relationship
1: with gaming began and ended with Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, really? Because my friend gave me the system. Which system was that? Sega was that? Genesis. So, yeah. And, I mean, this is so dating myself, but who cares? It's past the point anyways. So they gave me the game and the Sonic, and I got so fucking good at that game that one game would last me four hours and I'd get to the last board, the last thing to complete the whole thing, and I would die every time. And I'd be like, so like, oh, shaking my fist to to the gods that I'd be like, okay, one more game. I know I'm gonna do it. Two games, nine hours later, I was like, I have no life. And I finally had to just give it. I'm a very addictive personality, so I, like, I can't do anything in moderation. I literally had to give it back after four months because all I did was try and perfect Sonic the
2: Hedgehog. And then, and then fortunately you were able to refocus those efforts on music. Yes. Otherwise, Fits and the Tantrums would be the greatest Sega Genesis team still keeping it real.
1: I'm just gonna make an album of just eight bit sounds.
2: <laughs> you could chip tunes. Oh, I
1: know. yeah, there's a bunch of them, right?
2: You could do that. The theme to this podcast is a group called Gucci. It's all it's oh yeah all yeah chip yeah. tunes. I've heard that yeah, they're fucking they're fucking awesome. I I would like to think that even after 20 years, uh, you you would be the greatest Sega Genesis team. You're like, so did you finally beat Sonic? I'm like no, no. Still after all <laughs> these years, I get to the last. I feel like that last
1: board they just make it impossible. Could be a kill screen. Could be. Yeah.
2: There's a kill screen. Kill screen coming. Up. You want to see a kill screen, screen coming up? If you get, you should watch. Uh, you the should highest watch King Donkey of Kong score ever
0: done in public. Uh,
2: yeah, King of Kong is a fucking amazing movie it's if you haven't seen it yet. Oh no! I and haven't. if you're gonna be sitting oh, on a God. bus, you might as well King watch of King, King of Kong. King of Kong.
0: It's a documentary about the two best Donkey players. Don- donkey, donkey Kong. Player. Kong yeah. Steve Wiebe and
2: yeah. Billy Mitchell. Yep.
0: Oh, wow. It's so good.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad that we're all of the same
0: sort of era. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm happy for you to get to experience that movie for the first time. Like that's how good that movie is.
2: Yeah, it is. It really is. And you don't really have to. I mean, obviously, if you like games, it's really fun. But you don't really, no, you don't, you don't necessarily don't have well. to. No, and it's, I think, you will be very. It's entertained. just
1: too dangerous for me. Like, I won't have a personal life if I if I let myself ever get on to games.
2: That and then uh, that that's funny. All the behind the musics of this this generation will be like, and then he discovered Call of Duty, and you know, like it used to be heroin, and now it's fucking like World of Warcraft, or you know, or or Xbox, or you know.
1: I mean, I did have my little second revisiting with it when all the like app games came out and just got a little too deep into that. Especially,
2: world. you know, if you're sitting around for a while, you got to distract yourself because who wants to be a with their thoughts? Yeah. yeah, Not me. Nobody <laughs> wants to just be sitting in an airport for two it, hours it, it's, just it's, thinking about stuff. It's
1: great for relationships. I'll tell you that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're both distracted. I know it's funny. Clo- uh... uh Chloe and I, like, well, you know, we'll have dinner together. We'll watch something together. And then I find, like, all of a sudden we've been sitting in bed next to each other for an hour and haven't talked because we're both on our laptops. You know, just, like, completely, like, zoned out and isolated. Oh, I know.
1: I sometimes, like, literally when me and my lady are, like, texting each other, like, weird memes from across the the house and we're in the same house, it's a little weird. You know, it's like, okay, (laughs) put down the the PDA. The PDA. PDA.
2: Yeah. Wow. What I is just
1: really uh, I could only really date myself more if I said versatile.
2: <laughs> I said mimeograph yesterday, and Chloe was like, what the fuck is a mimeograph? And I'm like, it was a giant analog drum where people would make copies of things with carbon. <sighs> Good night, and then I just went to bed. <laughs> exactly. We're so addicted to our devices, you just start making out, and then you text your girlfriend, take your <laughs> pants off, and then she texts back, said, frowny face. Um... When uh, so the album comes the album's out, by the time it's out the album is out that's right available on all of the uh, typical places that people would find their music
1: that's right iTunes, Amazon you can go to our website and get it there and uh, you did know did you do we, a vinyl release? yeah we did we do a lot of work with uh, indie record stores and we actually for a record store day we did a cool like limited edition of the single with clear see-through vinyl which that for me I was just like goo goo gaga over being able to actually see our record with like it's this the specialty 180-gram 180, 180 vinyl and stuff. Um, yeah, but we always go and hang out. I mean, indie record stores have been so much a part of, like, our story and supporting us as a band. Um, so we always go and do, like, weird little in-stores at indie record stores and play there in between the, like, the old CDs.
2: So looking ahead, what is it that you, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, what is it that you want ultimately? Like, when you're when you're a young artist, I think you you know, a young performer, you go, yeah, I just want this big thing to happen. And you may not even know exactly what it is, but it's just this big thing. And success is this relatively undefined concept where it's like, I just want that thing. So, you know, has that idea changed since you started? What is it? What what would make you happy?
1: Well, I think, you know, the thing is, it's weird when you've spend your whole life working towards something you know i mean the music business broke my heart so many times over that like when the success of this band started to happen i really had to address the fact that wow i just had some deep wounds even from that world like i had been beaten down um by the the business i still couldn't even wrap my head around that this moment was happening for for myself and for the band um and now i think it's like the weird thing is you actually get... When you're when you're one of those very few people that's fortunate enough to have their dream come true, you don't really get to be cynical anymore. And that's such a trippy sort of thing. Like, I'm used to being, like, a jaded, cynical motherfucker.
0: <laughs> and uh,
1: I can't be that guy anymore because I was, like, so lucky that I finally got to have everything I've wanted come true. And for me now, it's just a question of how much. And I have to, on a daily basis, sort of just... Uh, remind myself to to see how fortunate we are and you know i mean look i'm ambitious i want to you know i want to play the world i want everybody to know our music i want us to play arenas uh, you know and and have you know worldwide success but at the same time it's like i've already we're already there it's just a matter of how much and if you just stay in the moment with it then it's like you can enjoy the ride because if i'm always looking forward i'm actually not enjoying what's already here and happening and you know with everything it's going to go away at some point you know they're going to stop loving you at some point it's i've lived in this town like we're talking about i've seen that moment come and go for many people in many different parts of the business so it's like i'm literally just holding on to the rocket ship and just trying to To enjoy the ride as much as possible.
2: And that is uh, almost the most perfect way to stick the landing for the end of the podcast because we constantly remind people uh, to not live in the past or the future, but to enjoy the present. So we end every episode by saying, enjoy your burrito, which is basically what you just described. It is, and thank God I love a burrito. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go get burritos. Thanks, Fitz. Good to see you, man. Dude, thank you so much. Pleasure. Awesome. Good luck with the tour. Thank you, brother. And good luck with the album. And uh, now I want to. Now we'll turn this off, and uh, I'm gonna. I want to ask questions about Cal Arts.
0: <laughs> Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
2: This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by LegalZoom.com. Whatever your legal document needs, LLCs, wills, trusts, trademarks, and more, they've got it. Over 12 years and 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom. Start your business to protect your family today at LegalZoom.com using the offer code NERDIST. When you're committed to raising the standard, you're bound to ruffle some feathers. At Happy Egg, we like to say we farm differently. But in reality, we produce eggs the way people used to, by partnering with local small family farmers who raise our happy hens on eight or more acres. Because in our opinion, farming shouldn't be complicated. It should be happy. Choose happy with Happy Egg. Visit happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg.